You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 95 and today i'm joined by jacob the cripple gaylord how's it going jake oh you know crippling around tell tell the uh tell the listener why why you're crippled these days what's going on i don't think they care about that uh because unlike today's youth i work i do some of that manual labor so uh yeah that's the reason my well, back you, getting out you meet my friend manuel yeah, Emmanuel. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the couch doing a podcast. Hey, that's what you got to do on your rest days. Hit the, hit the heating pad up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, oh, I dude, I did want to say we crossed a pretty big milestone on TikTok this week. 30,000 followers on TikTok. So 30, 30K. Yeah, that's we're crazy. At, we're at 31 now, but we crossed it this week. And I wanted to say thank you to everyone that's not only following the TikTok, but just follows any of our social channels. It's been awesome. I'll tell you thank you as soon as they all follow the YouTube. Mm. Or sub to the YouTube. That's when I'll say thank you. Yeah, we're, we're doing good on the YouTube numbers too. We crossed <laughs> 4K like last week, and then we're almost at 4,200 now. So it's going. Off. Yeah, it's it's rolling. So thank you guys for not only listening to the podcast, but uh, subs- or checking out the YouTube and for following on TikTok too. We appreciate it. So Jake and I didn't get to our weekly podcast last week where we usually do. We just talk about a subject and then we go strictly into Q&A. So we're making up for that right now. What are we going to talk about today, Jake? Some, some summer plans, some to-do lists? Uh, I believe so. All right, let's. Let's get started. What do we got? What do we got on the agenda for to do? I guess we can start on the public land front. Mm-hmm. We know, thankfully, unlike Kansas, we know we're already in an Oklahoma thanks to those lifetime licenses. Mm-hmm. And we we need to get some cameras out. And I, I usually am not this rushed. Like usually, what do we get them out last year in, in August to start uh, scouting on public land? It was late, maybe late July. Yeah, I think it was July, like late July. Yep. So. What's the what's the rationale behind getting them out so early this season? Uh, hopefully to try to get them out before it gets too hot. I think that's my number one goal. And then uh, I think we're just trying to go set them out, let them sit, because we also have a few more things on the to do list to do. So just getting them out and getting them out of the way, uh, that'd be huge. To kind of minimize our intrusion. In the past, we've went in like every two to three weeks to check those cameras and we get all these great nighttime photos and we get some decent daytime photos, but then those deer would kind of disappear and we're like kind of lollygagging, jog- jogging through there, high fiving, yelling. We get these great trail cam pics. And after learning a lot of during this off season, I realized we're being pretty intrusive when we go check our trail cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. You live and learn. So we were pretty intrusive about it last season. And at least in my mind, I think there's some spots that we can get on our public land in Oklahoma where we can get away from people and we can leave those trail cameras to soak. 
And I, that's what I'm really excited about. We know the battery life is there for the cameras and I kind of want to leave them soaking and check five, six months worth of pictures when we get down there. Yeah. Yeah. And a whole new area too. That's the thing. Uh, a, a lot of people only, or I guess not a lot of people, but, uh, I've been listening to some podcasts where mainly people who hunt public are like, you know, instead of just trying to do like, learn all about that WMA, like, like all in one year, just kind of learn it piece by piece. And I feel like we didn't mean to do it this way, but that's just almost like what we've been doing on this piece of WMA that we have. Or the pieces of public that we're going to be hunting in uh, Oklahoma this year. Really, the goal is to get away from people. And we can do that on any part of the WMA, but I feel like kind of how the terrain is set up, there's certain places that it's easier to do that. Like with terrain features that are either really steep or they're just hard to get off. Um, they're hard to get they're Yeah. Harder to get off the road. Um, because what's interesting about these WMAs is the managers of the WMA want to be able to access like 90% of it. So they put roads through everything and that's great for like driving, but it's tough when there's roads every few hundred yards and it kind of cuts up the sections. It's harder to get away from people in that way. So I think that's one of our strategies with our trail cameras is to just kind of find those places that are harder to access, set the, set the cameras deep in there and just let them soak. I agree. Are you going to, so there's this big Creek system that, that runs through. So obviously I want to be hanging by there because whether we go early season, mid season, like whatever, like they need water, obviously. Right. Well, my thinking is, is go, where there where the diversity is the greatest i mean uh because whitetail are creatures of edge habitat right and down there you kind of get a whole gist of it like there's big slopes well some of those slopes have little saddles in them so if you can maybe find that where the hardwood meets either the tall grass kind of like you're known to hunt i heard a really good thing on another podcast i forget which one it was but uh this guy was talking about X marks the spot, the way he described it. He hunts public too. And the way he said that if you draw an X on a map and if uh, the ends of those X's uh, will have different like types of habitat, then that's where you kind of want to be. So on one corner, if you have like water, the other corner, you have the hardwood, the other corner, you have where the grass is. And then, you know, whatever it might, might be on, on one, there's like a saddle then you know just around that area would be the best I, I think that's what's worked for us hunting these places is yeah. finding finding the places that have the most biodiversity because what stinks down there is i think what some people get caught up in is they see a nice food plot or they see a nice easy road to walk in and they're like this is what i'm gonna hunt but it's not it's not the spot right mm -hmm. and Thankfully, down there with all the biodiversity, there's a lot of spots that I think could be the X. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of ground to cover. And I think between you, Carol, and I, and maybe the other three goons, uh, someone will be able to get it done. Yeah. Oh, the other three goons. I thought you were talking about Tom and them, and I was like, oh, they no. ain't coming. No. No. I'm talking about the three J's. The three J's. Hey. Three J's. The, the three J's did all their scouting during shed season. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 
those sheds are uh those sheds are deadly man i don't i don't let the sheds tell me where to hunt <laughs> there ain't no way there ain't no way now so hmm i, I want to put a question on you and this might be completely a little i mean off topic but not really let's say you have a situation where you see does about every sit and it is our first week in november like annual rotation on there are you moving or are you not that's a tough one yeah i heard this um, the other podcast and i just wanted to ask you that's a tough one i would say it's usually hard for me to leave if i'm seeing deer right mm-hmm. I think our rule generally is if you don't see anything, you leave within, give it two sits. Mm-hmm. Um, if I am seeing something, but I'm not seeing any bucks, I'd probably give it three sits. Three you sits. Know, if I go three sits and I haven't seen a buck, that's something wrong. You know, that's 36 hours. Uh, granted, I'm not in the tree for 24 hours a day, but that's too much time in the tree not to see a buck at yeah. that time of the year. Because like we've talked about, if it, if it's not going on in your spot, it's going on somewhere. That's true. That's, that has, and like we've said in some of our, TikTok educational videos. This isn't driven by weather. It's not driven by any of these things. This is like driven purely by cycles and testosterone cycles and those bucks chasing does. Like they're just getting that as their testosterone levels are rising, they start doing more of those buck stuff. Like Casey yeah. from the element says, they start doing buck stuff. So if you're in an area on a prime piece of public and you're hunted it three different times and you haven't seen a buck, it's going on somewhere else. Yeah, no, no, I, I hundred percent agree. I've been, uh, I've been unfortunate enough in the past to fall for, uh, this trickery where you see a deer, you're like, it gives you new hope because you're like, okay, this is the last sit. And then I'm going to pack up my stuff and move. If I don't see anything, this sit. you end up seeing a doe or two, or maybe a buck that you didn't get an opportunity at. And then, then you just decide to stick it out. And if you only, I mean, most people probably only have a week, maybe an extended weekend to hunt. and uh, you know, those sits are pretty valuable. So, I mean, if you don't, if you don't see anything, basically what I'm trying to say is if you get caught up in that, then, uh, it could be a very bad thing because like last year I wasted a whole week in basically one spot. What stinks is when you, you end up wasting the whole week, right? But you waste the week because you're not willing to waste the other set to find out. Like instead of, instead of wasting one set and being like, Oh, I was, a hundred yards out of the game. I'm going to go over there next time. You're like, I don't want to waste that sit because it could happen here next sit. Yeah. And then you look at yourself five days later and you're like, I'm still in the same tree. Yeah. I got got little Debbie's hanging out of your pockets. You're just like, I don't know what to do. You weigh eight pounds lighter. You haven't used the bathroom (laughs) in a, in a week. You're sweating bullets and during the day, but you're, uh, you're freezing at night. So it's a miserable existence. It's one we all get caught up in though. Hopefully not this next year. So No. No, I was it was funny. I was talking to Carol, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. And he said <laughs> he cries me. He said he said, Oh, I will be getting a saddle. <laughs> and, <he's, laughs> and he because he, he counts out of a climber and he also got uh caught up in the sitting in the same spot. And if I sit in a good spot enough times it will happen. Uh-huh. And he goes I'm getting a saddle. He goes, when people ask me where I'm hunting, I don't even know. I got my stuff on my back. He goes, and I'm just walking until I find a spot. So I don't think Carol in a saddle would be a good fit. And ask me why. Why? Okay. How hard is it to go to the bathroom quickly in a saddle? 
It's terrible. You can't. You can't. Exactly. exactly. So how many shit stories are we going to get from him? <laughs> it's going to be like, dude, I had to get down out of the tree to go. <laughs> We're going to get a lot of those. Uh, if y'all don't know, Carol, we'll, we'll try to capture this more this upcoming season, like in gear camp and stuff, like more of his bowel movement stories. But if you all knew him and and could just be around, like I'm going to tell you this one story. I might have already told in, in another podcast, but I'm telling again. It was either last year. I think it was last year. No, no, no. Two years ago because we were still sleeping in a little small tent. So I think it was okay. the season of 2020. Uh, I had this little old like tent that I've used like camping with my family for. I don't know. It, it was an, it was an old tent. Well, this weekend down there, I think it was in November. It got like. It, it got was cold. cold. Yeah, it got pretty cold. Like I, I'm wanting to say like almost down into 30s. And so we had a buddy heater. We'll be like, hey, small area. You know, we got all of our body heat. Plus, you know, it's super small and we got a buddy heater. Well, we turned the buddy heater on. It's like, well, it's not getting cold in here. Well, we had the rain fly over the top of the tent and we really couldn't see like the top was mesh. So the hot air was obviously hot air rises and it was just, you couldn't keep it warm in there. Well, uh, it's like 2 a.m. We already burned through like two or three like little propane bottles because we had that sucker on high just crank. Those things are expensive too. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we're all like, we have like sweatshirts on sweats and like just our sleeping bags over our heads and stuff. Like it's, it's, it's pretty cold. Like we probably sound like little wimps, but it was cold. And uh, as soon as the heater went off or like ran out of propane, then you immediately knew because uh, uh, the cold would just wake you up. Well, it was cold, went out. So I was just kind of laying there in my tent. And all of a sudden I heard Carol like kind of roll over because he was, I think, the only one on a cot. And (laughs) he just lets out this, lets out this big sigh just (sighs) and then just like leans up. And of course, I'm just kind of like looking at him out of the corner of my eye because like I'm all wrapped up in my uh, uh, sleeping bag and he's like starting to get out of his sleeping bag and like put on his Crocs. And this man's in like I was in a hoodie <laughs> and, and sweatpants and I don't, I don't know what you were in, but this man was just in his undies. That's it. Like pure Mike Carroll fashion. And uh, he just puts on his Crocs and I'm like, I'm like, where are you going? He's like, I got to take a shit. <laughs> and here it's like two or three a.m. and like I I've been needing to piss for like an hour hour and a half. But you are I'm, not getting out. No, I'm not going out there until we're getting up to like go hunt. And this man gets up like like two or three a.m. and it's cold and it's uneasy crap to go take a crap. <laughs> he doesn't care. No, he, when he has to go, he has to go. Oh my god, it is. Dude, that's it awesome. Is, it's funny. Like he is a funny man. Yeah, we need to include it more in the videos. Yes. He told me <laughs> he told me when we were talking about the saddle. Or I watched all the videos about the Cruiser XC. It's comfortable, dude. Everyone says it's comfortable. He goes, That's the saddle for me. And I was like, awesome. And then he goes, But it better not be as comfortable as my climber. And I said, I said, why? He goes, I'll get up there and sleep for 30 minutes. <laughs> he goes, does anything, had anything ran by me while I was asleep? Probably not. <laughs> but he goes, I need to be awake. <laughs> oh my God. That man. He's a good one. When you get I, him on this damn podcast, dude. I know. You, is, there, is there a way you can like three-way this? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. That yeah. Of course. <clears throat> um, I've done that before though. I've been asleep in my climber, you know, like the classic seventh grader being asleep on his desk, you know, hands. Oh in, yeah. Yeah. You have that in the hands and I've woke up before. And you know, when you wake up in a haze in the deer stand, you kind of like jolt forward, like, Whoa. And I woke up to a deer, just like a doe staring into my soul at like seven yards. And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Hello it's there. Pretty... Hello there. Mm. Yeah. That makes me happy thinking about that. So, we say all that to say, Carol's getting the saddle. Are you getting the saddle, Jake? Are you gonna Are you gonna make the switch? Yes, yes, I can. I can definitely say that. Now I haven't did my research, uh, whether cruiser, tethered, whatever. So that's to be determined. I usually don't like doing my own research, so I'll probably just mimic whatever you and Carol get. To be honest, that's fair. It's a it's an investment to get into the saddle, but I think it's I think it's worth it in the long run. Yeah, it's worth the headache. I hate tearing my crap down. Only if I could just find and like like an easy. This is going to be like next season or two, but I just want a lighter weight camera arm. That would be the biggest thing I feel like. Sw- after switching to a saddle, I think the camera arm would be the next like most enjoyable purchase because of the the blocky. Just, yeah, just wait. So we talked about our our plans on um, our Oklahoma public pieces. Our our plan is to go hunt there for at least five days in the November rutcation and then move on to Kansas. Kansas is still a a TBD. We'll know about that on June 1st, Mm -hmm. but I need to get a working weekend on my lease sometime soon, at least to put out the cameras and get those corn feeders filled up. Do what? Is that all you're going to do? Just, just corn. We have, we have two, two, uh, I guess schools of thought we had, we haven't discussed is, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Bears. <laughs> I I originally was thinking about going in, spraying, no-tilling wheat. When are we putting it out? Um, and having um, just basically a sanctuary with some food in it. But after looking at and listening to Don Higgins, more of thinking about your square on like a checkerboard, my square is bedding, right? That's all my square is, is bedding cover. And I don't know if I want to introduce all that food into that bedding cover as well, or just leave it as bedding cover and just offer some baiting like corn and put less work into it. So that's kind of what you and I have been discussing. You you're on the, the just throw some corn out and stay out kind of train right now, aren't you? Oh yeah. And, and I still, I still agree with that. Uh, I mean, because you got to think about it. You, you, you said that you might not have the lease next year, right? Yep. So why, like, I wouldn't throw any more money into le- that lease just for that reason by itself. And on top of that is if you're basically the only bedding in a pretty good distance, like, obviously, there's probably, like, other bedding. Like, there's probably some tree lines along the creek on the neighbors that could bed, you know, if, if needed or whatever. But if you're the main primary source of bedding, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. I'd throw out some, some of that, uh, them golden nuggets and let them have the sweet tooth for it. Come get it. You're not really helping them at all. Like I could see the point of you trying to get them to stay on your property, you know, by putting food, like, like a, a high protein sort, like, like food, like you were going to plant, but there's already so much of that around. So that's not really helping. You're not really helping the overall health of it just from your little spot of 
like like of the deer herd. So you might as well just keep it as it is, throw the corn, and I mean, you can keep them on there just with the corn, corn and the bedding. I mean, I think, water too. Water yeah, too is yeah. on the river. So I wouldn't. I mean, I think you'd just be kind of blowing your money if if you did anything else to it. Well, the thing is, is that's probably the right perspective to have because everything that I'm going to do right now to in, like introduce more nutritional value to the property is going to affect it like years down the road. And if I don't have the lease in three to four years, there's really not a lot of reason to try to introduce more nutritious food into the place besides keeping them. And I'm already keeping them with the bedding cover. That's yeah, what's keeping so, them. Plus, I mean, just the amount you're going to spend and the time, the headache versus how much you're actually going to get off of it. Like it's, 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 it's it, it, I don't even think it'd be worth it. If it was my own property, it would be a no brainer. Oh, it's different though. Yeah. No brainer. But the thing is, is like, I have the only bedding cover in like the dude, like probably like a, up, up on this side of the river, probably half a mile, you know, something like that. I, there's so the deer density is so high over there. Do you have any oaks up in there? There's, I think there's some. Yeah, there's, there's some. Well, th you're fine. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you have corn and 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 even just a few good dropping oak trees, I mean, that's 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 good food. I mean, I don't, I don't hunt that that country enough to like know when or if like when they prefer those acorns over what what are y'all planting down there? Just winter wheat. Yeah, just usually winter wheat. Then. I don't, I mean, I'm sure some of them will stick with the winter wheat, but I think a lot of them, I mean, uh, those acorns are about like, like they attract them about like corn does don't, isn't that right? I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I just wouldn't touch it. Well, it, and it's an, also an argument of like, is the work that we're going to go in and put in going to be worth the intrusion if it's all bedding cover, like at any period in, of time in that place, you're probably within a, a deer within like a hundred yards. Well, so think about it this way too, like, like the Don Higgins strategy of, of staying out. Right. So, you know, that, that one like big old deer you kept having pictures of the whole time we were hunting that piece of public on a rotation. How mm -hmm. big do you think that deer was? 140s probably. How big do you think it's going to be this year? Could 50s, 60s. That's the thing. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I'd do as less, less amount as possible. I mean, we had, the same conversation with my private piece over here because I wanted to put I, I just wanted to put a feeder out and the whole time you're like that's too much intrusion granted you have a more broader scale of land and like more obviously more cover so it wouldn't hurt you as bad but I mean kind of gotta I feel like kind of like taking your own advice that's true it's and for anyone that's listening that thinks we're just like, hey, stay out of your property at all times, it's not really that. These places that we're hunting and we're talking about putting food is directly next to bedding. So And neighbors. Like, and neighbors. <laughs> so in my instance, everything on that, like out of that 110 acres, I, you looked at it from an aerial map, mm -hmm. probably like 80 or 90 of it is bedding. Yeah. And it, and it is seven foot tall, Johnson grass. It is down trees. It looks like someone went in there and did TSI for like their whole life. Like down trees, grass, like only thing in there is the mowed paths. And right next to my feeder where I shot my funky buck this year, there was like six different scrapes along the little road right there. 
Yep. And they're just doing deer stuff in there regardless. And the winter wheat would be nice. And I think it would give me more stand locations that I could access on different winds. But the thing is, is I'm not trying to go in there and shoot three bucks. I'm trying to go in there and shoot one. Maybe mm-hmm. I might not even shoot one. And you're so only going down there on the right, like the right forecasted uh, right. weather. I'm not going to step in there until it's until it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I feel like I, I mean, I feel like that's all you need. This is a good point. I just saved myself five hundred dollars. Follow us for more tips. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, no, but besides that, besides getting our cameras up on public and, and getting our cell cams and everything ready for private pieces and lease ground, we're just waiting on Kansas. That's all that's all we're waiting on. Kansas. Oh, uh I did I did put in for the Oklahoma draw hunts the very last day. Did you for the elk and the antelope? Yep, I did elk, antelope, and then the then the McAllister. Really? Mm-hmm. What if we both draw out for that crap? The McAllister one? Yeah. Sick. That would be sick. I I mean, I wouldn't know what to do. I guess I'd just spend 90 bucks and go get me like a cheap old longbow, but... I said I'm not going to kill anything on the recurve hunt, but I'll try. Hey, you know, would it even be worth... I mean, obviously it'd be worth doing it. Like, like it sounds super like... Uh, oh, I don't know the right word for it. Like, if I say... Would it even be worth hunting if we can't take a video camera? You know what I mean? Because I I don't think we're allowed to film it. Really? I don't think so. So basically, it it would be a wasted tag. But you know what I mean? Like if we can't record the hunt, I mean you're going to have to have your phone in there. So I wouldn't see why you wouldn't be able to take a video camera just to record it. Yeah, it depends. I, I guess it depends what you're giving up, right? If we're giving mm-hmm. up a good weekend of hunting somewhere else we have an opportunity where we could film then there's an argument there but also there's 200 inch deer in there that's the thing that's the thing once in a lifetime deer you ready to move in some q a let's do it all right let's do it uh, favorite, favorite part of the show so we're fielding questions from tiktok from the tiktok community the first question comes from antler.addiction22 and he asks i think it's a he does Keeping your clothes in a scent-free environment help with hunting or not? What do you think, Jake? I'm sure it helps. I'm not, like, great big on scent control. Uh, I never really kind of have been. Like, I, I, I've used the scentless laundry detergent before, and I still use the, uh, the, the spray. Like, if it's convenient, I have it on hand. But uh, for the most part, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Because I just, like, right now, all my hunting clothes are in a tote in uh my garage and come season i will wash them all and i don't even care if it has like the little flowery smell detergent in it because uh that's usually what i do at the beginning beginning of the year i wash them because i use them off and on like if i go turkey hunting or if i go coyote hunting or something like that then they get dirty and if i don't wash them or if i forget to wash them i'll just throw them back in the tote so before i use them every come every fall i usually just wash them i don't care if it has detergent on them or not uh throw them in the dryer and then spray them down and let them dry but after that like they really don't get like washed again yeah i would i would say if you're talking about scent control on your clothing i think playing the wind is more important Mm -hmm. than scent control like on your clothing and that means 
using the wind in a way where your wind your scent is not blowing towards bedding or where you're expecting the deer to come from. That is more important to me than scent control. Obviously, we use it like because it's it's cheap and we have it on hand in the truck when we're hunting um, sometimes. And the thing is, is, if I leave it at home, I don't worry about it either. Like, I'm yeah. not like, oh, no, I'm not going to kill a deer this time if I don't wear scent control. But so do you do not like I thought he was asking, do you not do like like any pre hunt? Like he might like, be. Does your keeping your clothes in a scent free? OK, yeah, he's talking about keeping them in a like a tote or something like that. I guess. I don't, I, I don't do that. I think a lot of people, especially, and this is one of the things about the marketing gimmicks and like the hunting outdoor industry is a lot of people want to sell those scent free totes and they use those scent free totes as a way to hunt the wrong wind. And that's not, you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, th- I think if you're doing it just as another tool in your tool belt to help you out, it's not bad, but it's not an excuse to hunt in, hunt the wrong wind or anything like that. Agreed. Let's go on to the next question. I hope we answered that question. I hope that's what he was actually asking. Okay. Oh, hunt works. I like this guy. He makes some really funny videos on TikTok. He says, someone comes stomping in right after sunrise. Is your hunt ruined? Do you Uh, tell them you were there? Just that overall general scenario. What do you do? I'm assuming he's talking about public land because if somebody tr- comes up on your private, you got a different problem. Well, I, I think you go first on this, and I went first on the last one. This one pisses me off to be <laughs> to be <laughs> just reading this one really yeah. kind of pisses me off to think about. Is your hunt ruined? No, it it maybe it could be it could not be. Do you tell them you're there? Yes, I would always tell them that you're there. I've had this happen to me several times. I think every one of us has had this happen. Um, I I can think of one general scenario. This has happened probably five years ago. I was up in a tree, and here comes two like sixty plus year old men um, with their crossbows, and I'm sitting in my tree, and I'm like, "Hey, hey!" And they look up, and they're like, "Hey!" And they like wave uh, at me, and they're like, we're going to keep going down. Like they start walking right into the bedding that I'm expecting the deer to come out of. And about 10 minutes later, I hear and just does running all <laughs> over the place. And they came back out. They came back out the other side right after dark. And like, man, we got down in there and busted about five deer. Uh, and then we didn't see anything. And I'm like, well, I didn't see, I didn't see anything either. So I move my stand based on that. I think it just depends on how the person uh, reacts once you tell them you're there. You should definitely tell them you're there, whether you're hunting with a bow or a rifle or anything. But I can just tell you how I would react as the person walking in on someone. If I see someone, I'm going to turn and walk the other direction. I'm going to consider that a blown spot. And either I didn't get to my spot quick enough, or this is just a spot that has too much hunting pressure and I need to go find something else out. Don't only have one spot in your repertoire. Cause if you do, you're going to be really disappointed if somebody else is sitting in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. So, uh, this, this isn't on public land, but I feel like I need to tell this story cause it still gets my blood a little bit boiling to this day. So, uh, this is family land that I, I was hunting on. I actually shot damn this things backwards. Same stand, same exact tree I shot that one out of. Uh, 
I don't even think it was that year. I think I think it was the year before I shot that one. But uh I set up in the stand. This was the only stand I had to this day. Or not to this day. It was the only stand I had. It was the only area I, I knew to hunt. Like it was before I hunted public. It was before I pretty much even knew really public existed, it seemed like. I sit here. It was probably wrong wind, all that stuff. Well, it didn't matter. It was like it was like late November, early December, I'm pretty sure. And this one guy also had permission because he knew my grandparents. They went to the same church. Uh, he also had permission. Well, where my stand was, he knew where I hunted. He, he was supposed to be hunting that, that right side of the property. I was going to be hunting the left side. That was kind of like the... the uh, Unspoken un agreement. Uh, yeah, basically. And it wasn't even really unspoken. That's uh, like We literally like texted each other and was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to be hunting over here. And he's like, oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll hunt over here. Whatever, no big deal. Well, uh, he ended up, uh, let me get this. I was in the stand, and all of a sudden, I kept hearing what sounded like like just some like distress calls from from like just random animals. And at first, it kind of like threw me off because it was in the morning, and and it's kind of kind of like scared me a little bit because just you're sitting there in the pitch black, and all of a sudden you hear <laughs> just screaming at the, like, and you're just like, oh shit, you know, something something's getting attacked, something's getting eaten. Well, and it just kept doing it, kept doing it. And I was like, I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's someone with a call. And then like, as the morning continued, it's just still just over and over and over just different types of distress calls. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And it only sounded like it was like maybe a hundred yards away. If that, well, to the left, there's this little clearing and I hear like, it's probably like eight 30. I hear a gunshot and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I don't think anything of it because I was like, maybe it's, you know, because it's kind of close to a fence line. So I was like, maybe someone's hunting the neighbors over there, like for coyotes or whatever. I was like, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm in this thicket. So maybe the deer will still come out. And about 15 minutes later, I just hear like some leaves crunching to the left of me. And I was like, oh, here we go. And I look, look over. It's, it's the neighbor or not the neighbor. It's the guy who's supposed to be hunting on the right side, come, walking through with a rifle. And he's like, 40 yards away from me and I kind of give him a whistle and he looks over and he's like, wait, he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I, and, and, uh, at this point, like I'm already pissed. Like, I don't, I don't say anything to him, but like, like I just kind of, I was like, you're good. And he's like, Oh, I'll leave right now. And I, and I was like, Oh, I'm already on my way out. You know, he, he's been doing that all morning. I get down and, uh, he kind of, kind of walks over to the base of my tree and, and he's like, did you see a coyote run? run through here and i was like no i haven't seen much of anything this morning you know kind of hinting like because he's had that damn call blaring the whole time and and he's like well i shot at a coyote a big one you know uh and i thought it ran through here but but uh I, I wasn't sure and i was like well it didn't i can guarantee you that i didn't see anything yeah long story short that that was my thing i just got down and left but it wasn't public and i really couldn't go anywhere else so what do you do if it's public what are you it's doing probably, in that scenario? If someone's like about to walk like underneath me or like past me, I'll kind of give them a whistle and uh, like, you know, just acknowledge that we both know each other's here. You know, I think if a new hunter's listening to this and you don't know like hunting ethics, if depending on how far away your spot is from that person, you run into a person who's already in their tree 
and they kind of give you a whistle like, hey, you know, I'm here. If you're hunting close to there, like when I when I say close, I mean like 500 yards or less around that person, then just back out and go somewhere else. Find a new spot because like th they beat you to it. Just, you know, it might suck. You might have been scouting that area, whatever. He beat you to it. If anything, try to beat him the next morning. But I wouldn't recommend that because, you know, he's going to be in there. Back out, find a new spot. And if I'm sitting in a tree and someone does that to me, if they don't leave or if I talk to them and they're like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going a mile or two back there or whatever, then, you know, I might stick around. But it all depends if uh, if you, you talk to them and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I just got, you know, stand a couple hundred yards already hung. I'm probably getting down and moving. I probably would, too. This has happened to me. Oh, it's happened to us, actually, on, on a turkey hunt in Oklahoma. And you talked about the hunting ethics just a little bit. Like, I'm just thinking always be respectful to people and treat people how you would want to be treated on public. Like, if you're already set up, we've set up under a goblin bird 100 yards from him and had people walk 20 yards behind us and then set up another 50 yards from us. And don't be that guy. Don't, be don't that do guy. that. Whether it's deer hunting, turkey, or whatever, we know the name of that little that little turd bag too. Yeah, I do. And there's probably no more turkeys left in there because of him. So we got question number three. This comes from Pipe Tester. That's a pretty good name. He says, "What is the best kind of food plot to have in the Northeast Oklahoma area?" I feel like this is your forte. I'm not a food plotter. I don't. I don't know crap about food plots. Uh. Northeast area. I don't see a lot of people doing food plots up in Northeast Oklahoma. One, I'll I'll say the soil is rocky as crap. Well, it's not. I don't think it's that. Uh, well, I, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, but for the most part, I think I think Northeast has some pretty decent soils, but some parts are rocky. Yes, but for the most part, we I don't think a lot of people have a lot of food plots like like big food plots just because, uh, like you you spoke with uh, Dallas Barber, big game biologist, of Oklahoma. And we already kind of knew this, but we thought it was like each landowner had basically roughly 40 acres. Well, after talking to him, he, he said the average land parcel here is like 30 acre segments. So uh, landowners here on average have 30 acres. And within that 30 acres, a lot of people probably, you know, there's a couple like people have five, 10. But if the average is 30, I mean, you get the gist. Uh, that's just not a whole lot of a lot of land that especially people around here would want to put a food plot year in and year out to try to help. Because if they're putting a food plot and their neighbor isn't like, I guess you're kind of helping keep them on there. But if 30 acres segments, everybody's going to have like two or three feeders, if not more. So, I mean, you really can't hold deer just from a food plot. It might help, but it's just almost like a, a waste of money. That was kind I, of, a, I but, agree. If you have, if you do have a, a big piece of property and you wanted to plant something, I, I would just think planting some sort of blend, something with oats, something with rye, something with maybe winter wheat. You could always plant winter wheat. Th I think all those things would take, but like you're saying, it's a question of, is it worth it at that point? It kind of depends on your unique situation. You might have a lot of acreage to do this, but I wouldn't do it. I mean, we've, we've planted, you know, half acre or one acre kill plots in the past um, and, and they've worked, you know, yeah. they work clover, those sort of things with there's some radishes, turnips. I think al almost any of those things would take um, is one 
better than the other? Probably, probably not. And I know that corn trumps them all. It's like candy for mm-hmm. deer. And so if you're planning your food plots, it's going to be tough to, to outcompete corn. Also, unless you just have a huge parcel of land, like let's say your, your sole goal for uh, planting a food plot is to try to maybe give them more, more forage, like uh, maybe to try to increase the antler growth size and all that stuff. Well, there have been a lot of studies that show that uh, unless you just have like huge parcels of land and use like supplemental feed, like nonstop, you're really not going to make a difference. So like, like, especially if you live in Northeast Oklahoma, where, where I'm currently at, uh, it's not, it's not really going to make that big of a difference. If you, if you plant a food plot or do mineral sites or anything like that, like if you get in cahoots with your neighbors and you all do that and you all have a thousand acres in between all y'all that, that you all decided to do that little manage, management strategy, then that would be the only instance that it would partially help. I agree, but take all that with a grain of salt because we're not food plot experts. Listen, listen here, you little, no, I'm just kidding. True. Very true. I can tell you how to uh, turn a corn feeder on and have yeah. it sp- spray. Pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. That's all the questions that we had. Got anything else you want to, you want to tell the, uh, the listeners besides to go sub to the YouTube, put out some cool video. We put out a nice video yesterday, uh, last week on YouTube, mm. five worst places to hit a deer put some time into that video so go check that out and we've been uh growing our rating and reviews too so we're up to 40 ratings now and we appreciate appreciate everybody that leaves us uh, a review as long as it's positive thank you guys for listening go check us out on the other socials and we'll catch you guys in the next episode see ya Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.